Church. The title of my message is, Who Runs This Show Anyway? Sometimes uh, we need to conduct business, right? You go into a store, you have to wait in a long line, or you need to talk to the manager, or you're looking for somebody in authority that runs this place, and you can't find anybody, you get frustrated, it's like, I need somebody who can get this thing done for me. All right, who runs this show anyway? Actually, it's a message on how to exercise godly authority. That's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Um, If you're like me, some of you are. I grew up with no confidence. I didn't get saved until I was 27, so I didn't know God. And through high school, through college, and even when I came to Lynchburg and worked as an engineer, I had about zero confidence. And... I just didn't know how to have confidence. In fact, I used to think in high school, one of the keys to life was to have confidence. And because I didn't have it, I knew how important it was. I saw other people who were leaders, and they had confidence, and they accomplished things, and I never seemed to be able to do it. And so I would share opinions and thoughts, and nobody ever seemed to listen to what I had to say. Some of you may have experienced that. If you have, this message will help you. Some of you are born leaders. You're type A personality, and uh, you need to be restrained, okay? You, <laughs> you, need, to, uh, <laughs> you need to take a, your chill pill sometimes. Um, but for you, you don't have a problem being bold and being a leader and speaking out, but you may not have the content, the spiritual content, or know how to share the spiritual content uh, in different situations. So this message message will help you. So hopefully that covers all of us and those of you in between. All right, so today we're going to learn who runs this show. And again, like I said, I'm talking about authority. And I want to define authority to you, uh, godly authority. That word comes from the Greek word exousia, uh, pastors mentioned that before, and it means power. Okay, but it's delegated power. It's really a delegated empowerment. Now, why is it a delegated empowerment? You remember Jesus said, All authority has been given to me, and I give it to you. Okay, so there's a delegation process that has to go on to exercise authority. One of the uh, key illustrations in the Bible that illustrates delegated authority is with the, uh, Jesus and the centurion. And we've heard this a million times, but I love it. And maybe we can hear it today and say, God, help me to do this. Let's take a look at Matthew 8. Matthew 8, uh, starting in verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, A centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, well, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go and he goes and to another come and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. So now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly, 
I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And, of course, the centurion's servant was healed. So what's going on there? The centurion's a Gentile, right? I mean, Jesus came to the Jews. He came to his own. His own received him not. Remember that? So here's a centurion. Here's a, here's a Gentile outside of the covenant promises coming to Jesus. And what did he say? What did he really say to Jesus? He said, you know, Jesus, I've been watching you do your miracles. I've been watching. I've been hearing these reports. I've sent my men to check you out, Jesus. And I've seen what's going on. And you know what I've noticed? Is you're submitting yourself to someone. And I know who it is. It's your Father God. And I've watched you, Jesus. And I've watched as you've submitted yourself to your Father, He grants what you ask. And it's interesting because I'm a centurion, and that's exactly how this principle works in the natural. Because I've submitted myself to my Roman superiors, they give me authority so I can bark off orders and my men have to do what I say. So Jesus, all you have to do is speak. I'm a Gentile. Don't even come to my house. I mean, you'll be unclean. You can't come to the Gentile's house. Just speak at Jesus because you're a man under authority. Isn't that great? And what happened? Jesus spoke it and it came into to be. The centurion had faith. So how do we get this authority to exercise. Number one, we need to realize what it is. Authority is power, but it's power that comes from heaven. Remember, John the Baptist said, a man can receive nothing unless he receives it from heaven, unless it's been given to him from heaven. Okay, so every single person in here, if you're a manager, if you're a supervisor, if you're the head of your household, if you're over your children, your authority comes from from heaven. Okay? It's good to realize that. Doesn't come from us, doesn't come from you. All right, so we're going to talk about how do we use this delegated authority. Well, you remember uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28:18, again he said all authority has been given to me on heaven and in earth, therefore go, make disciples of all nations. So in other words, he's saying, "Hey, Because I've submitted myself to my Father, everything has been given to me. And now, you're my delegated representatives. As you submit yourself to me, I'm going to give you my authority. You're going to go to the darkest places on the planet and exercise my authority. That's what your commission is. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Going to the darkest places on earth. And that could be across the street. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. So, Jesus has commanded this. This is not the option. In fact, this is why we're here. We are here as delegated representatives to exercise God's authority. That's, you think, well, I'm here to go to college and I'm here and work in my job and I yeah, put money, get food on the table. And, I mean, and we get busy with life, don't we, in our schoolwork and I'm studying and pulling all-nighters, college students, high school students, right? And all of a sudden, we, we completely forget our commission Don't we? Okay, so this is a a reminder of our commission. Uh, This is an encouragement. And I'm going to show you how God uh, wants to help us do this. So this is a how-to message. All right, and I'm going to be talking from Acts chapter 27. We have that map. Um, Okay, I don't know how well you guys can see that. 
I'm going to be talking in Acts chapter 27. Uh, this is Paul's journey to Rome. And you can see where he started in the map in the lower right-hand corner. I don't know if Jerusalem's on there. I can't quite see it from here. But you guys see the red line? Okay, that's his journey. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be reading the entire chapter in Acts 27. And you can kind of follow his journey if your eyes are good. Um, And hopefully you'll be able to see a little bit anyway of where his journey goes. And I'm going to stop and pause at certain scriptures and highlight them uh, that talk about delegated authority. All right, so let's go on the journey with Paul. Uh, Let me give you a little background before we start. If you remember, Paul went to Jerusalem and... He was accused unjustly of bringing a Gentile into the temple. So how did the Jews react to that? They went ballistic. They mobbed him. The Romans had to take Paul away from him. And the Romans basically put him in prison. He ends up in prison with, in a Roman prison for, I think it's around two years. And you remember, he had to testify before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. Well, under Festus, Paul appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He said, I need to go to Rome. I need to stand trial there. He said, all right, you appeal to Caesar. To Caesar, you shall go. All right, so Paul is about to be sent to Rome. And if you remember earlier in Acts, God told Paul, Paul, you must testify in Rome of me. Okay, so it was God's will for Paul to go to Rome. So we need to have that as background. All right, so now, remember, Paul's... Paul's a prisoner of the Romans. And now he's going to go to Rome. Let's pick up the journey in Acts chapter 27. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Okay, so Paul is a prisoner of this centurion named Julius. And embarking in an Adramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So Sidon is a port city. I don't know if you can see Tyre and Sidon are there on the map. All right, so Paul has favor with this centurion. He's allowed to go visit his friends. From there, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. So, Paul is kind of like when we take a flight, you know how you do have a layover and you have to get on another plane. Well, one ship sailed to the port, then they got on another ship, and this ship now is supposed to be sailing for Rome. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived, arrived off Nidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, 
near which was the city of Lycia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over. Let me stop here at verse 9. He's saying that the voyage was dangerous because the fast was already over. What's he talking about? Well, this fast was the fast that accompanied the Day of Atonement. And this Day of Atonement, uh, the time period was at the end of September and early October. So the sailing season was coming to an end um, at that time period. In fact, the Romans wouldn't sail after the middle of September. I'm sorry, middle of October. And into November, it was basically suicide to sail. And so this is right now at the end where it's iffy to take a boat out. Okay, so that's how we know it's a dangerous time because they tell us that the fast with the Feast of Atonement was already over. All right, let's keep going. Paul began to admonish them. Okay, wait a minute. This guy's a prisoner, right? All right, keep that in your mind. And he said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Okay, so here's Paul. He's throwing his two cents in, right? And again, I can picture you picture you're in a group, a group at school, a group at work, and you know, they're asking for ideas and, and you've got this passion and you share your idea and they like kind of nod their head, but they don't do it. They do what somebody else says. Right? Okay. Well that's what Paul does. He he gives it his best shot, right? Here he is, he's gonna influence the entire boat. He's saying, Hey guys, we can't do this. I mean there's going to be great loss to the ship and loss of life. You can't do this. Do they listen to him? No. Does he have the authority at this point? No. No. So that brings us to principle number one on how to exercise godly authority. Godly authority is in God's timing. Okay, there is a time to exercise godly authority. So Paul, Paul gave it his best shot. Nothing happened. So that should encourage us. There's times when you give your idea and it falls on deaf ears. That's okay. It's not God's time, right? So we need to wait. Now, we know Paul is a man of God. So we know Paul is a man of prayer. Now, nowhere in this account does it say that Paul prayed, which is kind of interesting. But we know Paul and we know Paul prayed. So I'm safe to say principle number two in exercising godly authority is Paul was praying. In fact, I believe Paul was speaking the word of God when he told the centurion what he said. Let's go back and look at it. Verse 10, we have that up there. Paul says, men, I perceive that the voice I perceive. How do you perceive this, Paul? How do you know this, Paul? Well, through prayer, God showed him what was going to happen. And so he shared it. Hey, he didn't say he prayed at this point in time, uh, but I believe he did. So, principle number two is, I believe Paul prayed. And principle number three is, who do you think you are telling me that this voyage is going to end in disaster? I was trying to think of an equivalent today. I don't know if this is really an equivalent, but 
Let's say you go into your school and you go up to the principal and say, um, you know, unless you cancel the pep rally, uh, there's a bomb in the school and it's going to blow the whole thing up. Or, you know, whatever. That's the order of magnitude that's going on. Paul's like, there's 276 people on this ship, right? That's a lot more that's in this room. So this is a big boat. This is, this is a massive thing he's talking to them about. Hey, guys, we're going to die. The ship's going to break apart. Who are you to say this to us on the beginning of this journey? Paul, the prisoner in chains. I mean, where does he get off saying this? It took courage, right? So principle number three is if you're going to exercise God's authority, you better have some courage. So you should be praying. You need to realize God's timing. And when it's time to speak, speak with courage. They don't listen to him, do they? So we need to be able to take rejection and not have our feelings hurt. All right, let's, just, let's continue then. Um, actually, I had one more point on, on uh, this timing issue. You guys remember Moses? Before Moses was directly commissioned by God, remember he saw two Hebrews, they were striking each other. So he walks up and says, brothers, why are you striking each other? And what do they say to him? Who made you judge and ruler over us? And so Moses, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday, Moses? So Moses takes off the Midian. And 40 years later, he was commissioned and he did come back and he was ruler and judge over them. But it wasn't his time, was it? Sometimes you might wait weeks. Sometimes you might wait 40 years for God's timing to come forth in Moses' case. Okay, just a little thought on God's timing there. Let's continue reading. Um, Verse 12 is where I'm at. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. Okay, so they're not listening to Paul. They're going to look for another harbor to winter in. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So they want to go to, another, uh, they want to, go to um, Phoenix. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, they're like, aha, Paul was wrong. The winds are favorable. It's time to sail. I will see about that. They weighed anchor and begin sailing along Crete, uh, close in shore. Notice they're hugging the shoreline uh, because they, they know it's a little bit dangerous to be out there. But before long, they're rushed down from a land of violent wind called Euroquillo, and that's the word for nor'easter. We've heard of nor'easters, especially off the coast of New England. They're pretty vicious. And when they, when the ship was caught in it, They could not face the wind, and we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. So they're no longer controlling their boat. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clotta, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship. It was called frapping. They had these ropes, and they literally tied the ropes around the hull of the ship to keep it together so the waves wouldn't rip it apart. Okay? Um, 
After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables, all right, and fearing that the ship might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, we were being violently storm-tossed. They began to jettison the cargo, and the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Okay, it's getting serious when you start throwing things overboard. Right, you want to lighten the ship so it rises higher in the waves. The ship's tackle was you know, the pulley systems they had, the ropes, whatever rigging they had to, uh, to control and run the ship. Basically, they're throwing it overboard. Not a good thing. All right. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Okay, so, what happened? Well, what happened was what Paul told them would happen, right? Or we should say, what Paul told them would happen was beginning to happen. Was happening. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said to them, Men, you ought to have followed my advice. Really. <laughs> and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. I mean, who is this guy? What do you, you know who he's talking to? This is a prisoner talking to the centurion, the soldiers, and the captain of a ship. What's he really saying? Told you so. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I told you so. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, why, why would he say that? I think, I think the reason he said that is it wasn't because he was proud and he was trying to draw attention. I was right and you should have listened to me. That wasn't the point. I think his point was, hey guys, what I shared with you earlier, do you notice that it, it's coming to pass? He wanted them to see that what he had shared earlier was coming to pass. Okay, And I think that's going to be very helpful for him. Um, in fact, to me, it's God starting to vindicate Paul, right? Because what Paul said is true. God is confirming the word that he said to Paul that Paul shared earlier. So principle number four is God's got your back. If God says it and you share it, God will confirm and establish his word, period. And I think... That's what Paul was doing. He was just referencing, hey, remember what I said to you earlier? And in a minute here, he's going to bring God into the picture and they're going to start to see the big picture of what's going on. All right, so we got a few principles. Number one, exercising authority requires God's timing. We have to be patient. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. Principle number two, we need to be praying that we hear God's word, right? Principle number three, it takes courage to share what God puts in our heart. I'm sure it wasn't easy for Paul to share that. And I'm sure he had some apprehension when he shared. He, when he said, hey, men, I perceive this voyage will come with loss of life and much damage. Can you imagine him later on thinking, God, you really need to do something here. Did I really just say that? Well, God vindicated him. Yes, Paul, that was from me. Um, principle number three, so it took him courage. And principle number four, 
God's got your back. He will confirm His Word. Alright, so that's uh, verse 21 I just read. Let's keep going. Verse 22. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Who is this guy? I mean, why? How does? How can he say this stuff? I mean, where, where is he getting this stuff? For this very night, verse twenty-three, an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong, and whom I serve stood before me. So now there's a connection between the God that Paul serves and all these crazy things that he's telling them. And that's exactly what God wants. Okay, and this angel was saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Pretty bold, isn't it? Pretty bold. That brings up principle number five. Once God confirms His Word in you, go for it. I mean, you got the floor. Speak the Word of God with boldness. Because it's been given to you. God has given you the floor, so to speak. God has given you the authority and the timing is right. You speak it. So what's He saying to these people? Hey guys, this is what's going to happen. The angel told me, Remember I told you before what was going to happen and you didn't believe me? Well, it happened. So let me tell you something else that's going to happen and I hope you believe that because God told me. So now they're starting to scratch their head. Well, maybe there's something to this God that Paul serves. Pretty neat, huh? All right, let's keep reading. Verse 26. But we must run aground on a certain island. He keeps making these predictions. They're not that good, are they? I mean, they are, but they're not. I mean, you're going to keep your lives, but the ship's going to be torn to pieces. I mean, all the cargo is going to be gone. I mean, all the money, you have to answer to your superiors. I mean, this, this is not a pretty situation to lose your whole cargo. Verse 27. But when the 14th night came, all right, two weeks, this is quite a, quite a nor'easter. As we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took some soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. And it's not like they had headphones and had a digital, uh, <laughs> digital transmitter. Um, their soundings were pieces of rope with a weight on the end that they would just lower down and would touch the bottom. They'd pull it up and measure it so they could figure out the depth of the sea. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, okay, who's escaping? The sailors. So who's on this ship? We've got sailors on the ship. They know how to run the thing, right? We have soldiers on the ship. And we have prisoners on the ship. The sailors who know how to run this thing are leaving. <laughs> okay, not good. <laughs> not good. Okay, but as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat, what are they talking about? That's the lifeboat, right? Okay, they're letting the lifeboat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. 
Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless the men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Who is this guy? He keeps telling us what to do. This time now, what's going to happen? They listen to him. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's lifeboat and they let it fall away. So this is the first time now where they're listening to Paul. It's like, okay, maybe there's something to what this guy is saying. The spiritual climate is changing on the boat. The captain who came on the boat, the centurion, was the, the captain and the centurion were really the ones that had the authority and control of this ship. Now it's changing. We're going to see how this works. Okay. <clears throat> so we're talking here. Paul is, uh, as he gives this command um, to, cut out, to cut the lifeboat out, basically, it's really now brings us to the last principle number six. He's taking charge. Okay, so, and again, when it sounds worldly, but it's not. I mean, when God wants us to speak, we speak. He wants us to take charge of the situation. We need to take charge of the situation. It's now in Paul's hands. Paul is now taking charge. So that's principle number six. When God gives you, when you start speaking the word of God with boldness, when he confirms the words that he speaks, the floor is yours. You, you start doing what God shows you to do. So Paul now, is, you're going to see Paul is the one who's going to be commanding this ship. It's incredible. Let's find out what he does. <clears throat> Okay, verse 33 is where I'm at. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. He said, first he tells them, hey, this is what you need to do. The sailors can't get off. Now you guys need to eat. Come on, get your strength up. Today is the 14th day. You've been constantly watching. You've been going without eating. You've taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food. For This is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. It takes some confidence to tell people that, right? They've been 14 days. Their ship's being torn apart. They think they're going to die. And Paul's like, hey guys, you're, you're going to live. You're going to make it. But you need to do what I say. You need to eat. You see how Paul's, Paul's the one giving the commands now? It's not the captain saying you need to eat. Shouldn't the captain be saying that? Where's the captain anyway? <laughs> The captain's like, whatever he says, do it. I mean, the, captain, the captain's nowhere to be found. The centurion, what's he saying? He's just standing there waiting to see what Paul's going to say. Let's keep going. So he tells him to take some food. Having said this, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Now I'm wondering, where did he get the bread? There was still food on the ship. They hadn't thrown that overboard. Why didn't they eat for 14 days? We really don't know. Um, it's possible that it was just so intense that their lives depended on them keeping this ship afloat. Keeping whatever semblance of riggings, anchors, whatever. Keeping the, um, the frapping, the, the cables around. Uh, I don't even know that they had time to eat anything. They may have been so sick they may have been weak. I mean, um, they weren't fasting. But anyway, for whatever reason, they hadn't eaten for 14 days. 
Now, Paul takes the bread. Where does he get the bread from? This is my guess. I think Paul said, hey guys, it's time to eat. Bring the bread up. Because the captain's nowhere to be found. I think Paul had them bring the food up. Hey, give me the, give me the food. I'm going to give thanks. And you guys need to eat. I mean, I, I, I think that's an educated guess. I'm, I'm stretching it a little bit, but it wouldn't surprise me. But Paul's the one that takes the bread, not the captain, not the centurion. He breaks it. He gives thanks. And he passes it out and says, hey guys, eat it. Do you see how he's, he's the one controlling what's going on here? Okay. So all of them were encouraged in verse 36. And they themselves took food. They listened to him. It's like, okay, let's eat. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. So Paul is feeding 276 people. He said, hey, bring the bread up here. Let me give thanks. Pass the bread out. Guys, go ahead and eat. All the soldiers, all the prisoners. Isn't that amazing? I find that amazing. <laughs> when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing all the wheat into the sea. So now they're throwing their cargo in. So it's still pretty bad. And when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach. And they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. Casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea. While at the same time, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach. They're going to make it. They're going to make it. But striking a reef, oh no, where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up. By the force of the waves. So here they are. They're finally going to make it. All these words from God. All this God preserving them for 14 days to be broken up so close to the beach. No. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. Alright, so the waves, are, if the waves don't take them, take them apart, then the soldiers are going to kill all the prisoners. So is Paul really going to make it to Rome? I'm adding a little drama here. I can do that. Yes. <laughs> Paul is going to make it to Rome. Um, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim a lot should jump overboard and get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. I mean, it's quite a journey. You know, Paul got on the ship as a lowly prisoner subordinate and ended up taking charge of this ship and saving the entire crew. How did he do that? Well, the principles that we talked about, he realized God had a timing. He didn't get upset when they didn't listen to him the first time. He prayed. He spoke the Word of God with boldness. He had courage. Um, <clears throat> he saw God confirm His Word. And then at the right time, He took charge. He saw, hey, the ship's been given to me. I'm just, I'm just going for it. Until we get to Malta, it's, it's on me now. God's with me. And they did. They got to the island of Malta. And eventually, they, He did make it to Rome. Um, 
And we know he was a prisoner in Rome. And we know that the whole palace guard heard his testimony. And we know he was successful there for the gospel. Um, But principle number seven was, why didn't he get killed? Well, the centurion didn't want Paul to get killed. What's that? God's favor. So principle number seven is, if you will exercise God's authority the right way, you'll have favor with God and with men. Which is awesome. So seven principles of exercising God's authority. So who's running the show? Well, Jesus said, my father's running the show, but because I've submitted myself to him, I'm running the show. All authority has been given to me. And as you submit yourself to me, my children, my saints, I'm going to delegate my authority to you so that you can exercise my authority wherever I send you. That's how he wants it done. Can we really do this in real life? I don't know that we do like we could. Um, Let's pick a school example, high school or college. How could you do this? Well, God gives you friends. They could be Christians, but specifically I'm talking about non-Christians right now. God will give you a friend or two And these non-Christians, they like being with you for some strange reason. They just like hanging around you. That's God's favor. Those are people that you start praying for. Because those are people that God wants you to speak into their lives. God wants you to exercise His authority with them. So what you need to do is think right now, all right, what, what people do I know in college? What people do I know in high school that don't know the Lord? Or maybe they know God, but they're kind of backslidden. Okay? So you want to start praying. You want to pray, God, I pray you would bless them. I pray that you would open their hearts to receive your truth. God, I pray you give me the the grace and the humility and the words to speak with them. Uh, Something to share with them, to point them to you. Isn't that a good prayer? And you're praying that. And you're praying that. And you hang out with them and you have fun with them, right? And you go out and you do things with them. And one day... Um, you're talking with them and they say, well, how do you know what college you're going to? I mean, you seem so confident you're going to UVA. How? Well, I mean, my parents have been praying and I've been praying. And um, it was really interesting because when I was in Walmart, Walmart the other day, I met the cashier. Uh, I met her and she told me she's going to UVA. In fact, she's in the major that I want to go in. And she gave me all these contacts and all these people to contact. So I went up to UVA with my parents and we met up with her for lunch. And she shared all these things with us. And man, I mean, God just showed me UVA is where I'm supposed to go. Now, your, your non-believing friend is like, what? Like, now, they may not believe it at that moment. They may not get it at that moment, but that's okay. It's like you shared the Word of God with them, your testimony. They heard it, okay, it's going to take some time. Wait for God's time. So you continue praying with them, for them. And you say, God, would you give me some more opportunities to point them to you? And then one day they come up to you and they say, you know what? I, I mean, I, I see you pray and my life's a mess and my boys, I broke up with you. You know, and they do one of those numbers. And, and all of a sudden, you're like, how can you do it? And you have so much strength. And all that. You know, I mean, this happens. This, is, this happens. And so that's when you say, well, you know, um, let me share. It's my relationship with, with Jesus. He's the one that gives me strength and peace. 
And you can have that same relationship. You need to confess your sins and receive his forgiveness, and he will. And he'll give you that peace that you want. Could we pray? Could I pray for you? How long did it take me to share that? What, 10 seconds? I mean, not a whole lot of time, right? You say, well, John, I don't know if I can do that. Because honestly, some of, that's, it takes boldness to do that. That's one of my principles. I don't know which one it was. I had so many of them. <laughs> um, principle number five, speak the Word of God with boldness. Where does it come from? God. God's going to give you the courage and the strength to do that. You say, oh, I'm afraid. Well, God will help you overcome that fear. As long as you're praying, pray for yourself too. Say, God, when my friend asks me the question, give me the words to share. Help me not to be fearful. You think God would answer that prayer? Isn't that His will? That we not be afraid? How many times does He say in the Scripture, don't be afraid, don't be afraid? A million times. I speak with hyperbole, but you get the picture. All right. Can you picture that scenario in the workplace? You've got some non-Christian friends in the workplace. And that same type of scenario, only instead of college problem, it might be divorce problem, relationship problem, um, whatever it is. But you're praying for that person. We have to be proactive in this. So if you're getting anything out of this, you've got you've to want to do this. You've got to say, you know what? God told us to go. And this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't like it. I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I'm quiet. I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't like doing this. But God, this is what you want me to do. You saved me for this. I'm willing. Help me. I'm an introvert. I really am. I'd I'd rather be in a cave than go to a party and talk with people. I mean, when when I teach, it's my gift. So God comes alive in me. But it's not me. It's Him in me. But I'll leave here. I'll go home and I'll just... I just want to be in bed for, for three days. So I'm talking to you introverts that if God can use me and empower me to, to stand up here in front of people, He can do the same for you too. I remember um, a number of years ago, I was uh, running a, uh, an organization that took uh, whitewater rafting, hiking, canoeing, camping trips. And we took a, uh, a Methodist church youth group in town. And we took them to the New River Gorge. And we were going to camp and whitewater raft. And so uh, they had their youth leader come with them. So we get up to the New River Gorge and we set up camp. And, you know, I, I was all fired up and, you know, I had, I had a Bible study and uh, I was going to share the gospel with these Methodist kids. You know, encourage them and give an invitation because I was ready to go. Well, so I started sharing, and their youth pastor wasn't saved. That's about the saddest statement you can make. Their youth pastor wasn't saved. But we prayed for him, so that was the good news. Anyway, I start sharing, and this guy starts to oppose me in front of everybody. I'm like, oh, no. You know, so I'm kind of going back and forth with this guy. And my friend, my helper, who was there, he starts to pray. I didn't know this. He told me later. And he prayed. Uh, he said, God... Get this guy out of the way. Remove him. And I didn't know this. As soon as he prayed that prayer, this guy gets a phone call. And the reception was bad. Okay, we're in the middle of West Virginia, right? So the reception's bad. So this guy has to, this guy goes walking down the road. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? 
he's out of the way, man. And I just, I just went for it. I mean, I just gave him the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, told him how to get saved. And it was awesome. It was awesome. But see, you can do that. See, we had prayed. We had prayed. Um, God gave courage. Uh, it was God's timing. We had to do spiritual warfare when we got up there. But you can do this. That's, and, and you have done this. Many of you have done this. But I realized with myself, um, it's so easy with a family and bus- the busyness of life. It's really easy to forget our commission, what God wants us to do. You say, no, John, it's really not for me. I mean, you're bold. You're an evangelist type. It's for you, not for me. I honestly don't believe that. I believe that everyone in here has a sphere of influence with somebody. And it may be the old lady that lives next to you. You've been shoveling their walk and baking her cookies for her. And you've been talking with her for years. But not once have you ever prayed that His kingdom come to her house. And, I mean, could you, that's, that's not a good testimony, is it? So, we have to be used by God. I mean, that's why we're here. All this other stuff that we're doing, it's important, but it's only important in the context of go make disciples of all nations. So, I'm not minimizing anybody's work or anybody's family because I'm in the same boat as everybody here. You know, I work three jobs, so I know how it is. Um, but I, I want to encourage you that we can do this. We can do this. I gave you a skeleton of how it can be done. Uh, there's other ways and other things that God can show you. You don't have to do it this way exactly, um, but you can do it and start to pray and ask God to help you. One more little testimony. Um, when I worked at B&W here in town, we had to stop at the guard shack um, every day to check in for work because they have a lot of um, nuclear stuff that goes on there. So they have a huge nuclear, uh, huge guard force out of Mount Asus plant. So you have to check in with your badge. That was years ago. But there was this woman, and she couldn't have been much more than four foot ten inches tall. And she was just a tiny little thing. And I had just gotten saved when I was working at B&W. And it, um, I could see the joy in her face. And when I talked with her, I knew she was different. And she had authority. And so I was, I was kind of intrigued by this little tiny woman. So just as a process every day of talking with her, she would share things with me. And what I found out is um, the other guards that she worked with, there were mostly men. There were some women, but most of them were men. You know, and they're big, and they carry, you know, weapons, and uh, they're kind of scary looking. And they would use foul language around this woman. And she said, I said, well, what would you do? And she said, well, um, I told them they need to stop. That's not appropriate. I said, really? <laughs> you can tell people to stop cursing around you? I, I mean, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> and she said, yeah, yeah. And she said, they do it. They better do it. Where does this woman get this boldness? She had authority when she, when it was when she was on duty in her guard house. She had the authority in that guard house. And when these big guys, six foot two, with their guns, came walking in, they knew they weren't going to say anything wrong. They weren't going to curse and use profanity because of what she would say to them. 
she would rebuke them and put them in their place. And that's what she did. I'm not saying you need to go rebuke everybody in your workplace. <laughs> you may want to. But you, you get the picture here. We've been given authority. All authority has been given to me, and I give it to you. So what are you going to do with it? And so hopefully I encouraged us today to exercise God's authority. So be humble, but be bold. Be humble and be bold. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, Thank you that Jesus was the example of humility. And thank you that he submitted to you. Lord, help us to submit to you. Help us, God, to pray. Help us to have a vision for those around us. To bring them into the kingdom. 